It's good to see you guys. Um, I'm sitting today because uh, I feel like this is not something that Jesus would probably talk about down to people. (laughs) I talked to Todd this week. I said, hey, is there any way I could sit down and sit on the ground and have everyone else sit on the ground? It's like, Church of East Floors, uh, probably, probably a little too dirty for that, so um, here we are. So, a couple weeks ago, Austin asked us a, I think a pretty simple question, but also really profound, um, something for us to reflect on before the service started, and the question was, why are you here today? I've been thinking about that a lot. I don't know if that caught any of you guys that day as well, um, like it caught me, but I was curious, seeing as uh, a lot of us are going through trials of various kinds right now, things are not easy, it seems, uh, in and around our lives, if anyone would be open to share about why you are here today specifically really putting you on the spot, and if it's a bunch of chirps, that's totally fine. Thanks, Eric. Sometimes I'm here because I've committed to lead worship twice a month. Uh, you know, and it's sometimes I'll admit sometimes it's the same sort of thing. Life is life is busy and stressful, and uh, it's sometimes stressful to pick out songs and try and make sure you're picking up the right songs or whatever. By the time I get here and I see Brian's usually the first guy I see, he's always happy. And then Mandy and whoever else is playing. It's always it's always totally worth it. I'm always glad I mm. I came here and got over myself as opposed to watching like two premiere games and you know whatever being totally selfish. Um, and part of it too is um, 
I need it, and I know that I do. You know, I, I've had lonely times in my walk with God, uh, where things went wrong with the church community, and uh, and this is a place where I feel like I can completely be myself and be open about struggles, and where I can bring anybody that I know, and they would be very loved and welcome. And so that that's more of the specific answer of why I come here. Thanks, man. <laughs> you kind of get that uh, boost because you know, you're coming and then as a um, believer, you know, we all believe in the same foundation of all the Jesus. And then we send it to God. And then we seek him for him. That's what we think. So it, it gives you that thought you need to go back out into the real world and be around the people who don't. Mm. So <laughs> I found that question very uh, intriguing to me because immediately the first thing I wanted to think about was, okay, why do I, why do I want to be at East? Um, why do I want to be at church on a Sunday um, rather than watching Premier League games versus the alternatives? And Jonah, I think you said something that was really interesting is you used the word need and not want. Um, I feel like so many weeks I need to be here. Um, I need to be here because that week I didn't feel a proximity to God that I wish I would have. I didn't lean into his presence as much as I would have. And I know that I would feel it here with y'all. And I also know my own heart and my own act of rebellion against him and his ways and his good ways. And to me, in one sense, it's almost like, God, here is the one sacrifice I can give you in my week. I've given you maybe scraps throughout the week. I can devote a couple of hours to you. So um, that's been heavy on my mind the last couple of weeks and especially this week and preparing for this. And so 
today we're going to be in uh, Luke 13, uh, 1 through 9. So if y'all would turn there, and I think we'll have it up on the screen as well. Thank you, sir. And prepare. This is uh, some harsh words here from Jesus. (laughs) He loves us. There were some present at that very time who told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Great start. Um, I'm probably going to chop this up a little bit because there's some things that contextually here are are important. So um, we all know who Pilate was, right? So same same Pilate. This isn't Jesus. Jesus isn't tricking us here. Um, the writer's not tricking us here. Same, same Pilate that oversaw the crucifixion of Jesus. Does anyone know anything about uh, the Galileans? They had an accent? Yes. They did have an accent. That, and that's how they called Peter out, um, right? When he was denying Jesus, they found out that he had an accent, and like, no, it's not me. I'm pretty sure it's you. You're from Galilee. So, uh, the Galileans, uh, so Nazareth, Nazareth and, and Galilee, same area, same region. It's where Jesus comes from. And uh, the Galileans, specifically during this, this time, uh, they were a religious sect. So they were part of Israel. Uh, they were Jewish um, and, and were a sect, much like the Pharisees or the Sadducees. But one of the things that they were most known for is their uh, rebellion against paying taxes to Caesar. Um, they were very rebellious in this and didn't think that they, they, they hated the fact that they were Roman occupied. And so Pilate and probably anyone who would oversee that region would not be very happy about that. And so likely what's being referred to here is um, some sort of political rebellion. Uh, and so it's very much a, us against them, uh, and we see tragedy uh, at the hands of the government occupying at that time. Okay. That's one verse. And, and Jesus answered them uh, when this crowd was there. And, and if we look back at uh, chapter 12, we see it says some were present there, and it's Luke's funny way of saying there were many people there. You know, the previous chapter talks about thousands of people, maybe a small stadium. So in the same way that Luke says, hey, you know, it wasn't, wasn't any small disagreement, he's kind of saying the same verbiage here. So it's, it's a fairly large crowd. And so Jesus answers this large crowd, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent you will all likewise perish. And so we don't have a ton of context around the 
that event, the Tower of Siloam falling and, and, and all that. Uh, but we know it's within Jerusalem. It's in the area. We'll see later on uh, there's another reference to it uh, where, where Jesus is, is talking about uh, the pool of Siloam. Uh, but another event in which uh, things befall uh, a group of people um, ends in tragedy. Um, and Jesus says, it's important to repent. Uh, what? Why do you think that Jesus does that here? Like, they're, the crowd asks him about this event that happens. Why, why on earth does Jesus start getting into repentance? It seems kind of strange to me. I feel like the Jesus that I know, he'd be like a comforter. If they're asking, if, if they know if they had friends that were part of, you know, this, this Galilean revolt, Jesus might have a different response, but he doesn't. He talks about repentance. Why, why do y'all think that is? So, if we take a look, <clears throat> let's go to John uh, 9, and we won't have it up on the screen. I think it's, it's really similar in, in another conversation he has, um, where we see another uh, um, reference to this Siloam area. And y'all may recall this story, it's the story of uh, Jesus healing a man born blind. So as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So I think... Jesus is really, in this point, um, trying to make a statement. Um, I, I read this first part. I, I couldn't help but think about like a crowd gathering and, and talking about something bad that happened and, and trying to ask Jesus, Jesus, why did this bad thing happen to these people? It's, it's gone wrong. Um, not any different to a conversation that we might encounter with a friend, um, someone who may have a tough time with Christianity because in this world, you know, bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people, and this awful tragedy, the ancient world saw any sort of negative consequence in this world as a result of someone's negative behavior or rebellion against God. 
Any other thoughts on, on why Jesus might talk about repentance with that in mind, or repentance and you know, why this tragedy might befall them if they don't repent? Why, why on earth would, would Jesus bring this up um, with these folks? Maybe the tragedy is kind of a mainstay. But the, the baseline is that there will be tragic things. That's not a... That may or may not be... I don't know where you're going with it, so I'm not trying to like sabotage or say where you're going. But that, that may not be a reason or not a reason to repent. But the mainstay is tragic things that you don't understand befall us all. And so maybe it's in the midst of all of that, maybe re- repentance can be the like third way. Above mm. tragedy, above wonderful things, maybe maybe there's a third way. I don't know. Mm. I, it just feels like he's saying, well, yes, of course that happened to the Galileans, but it might happen to more Galileans. It could happen to you. Yeah. The tower could fall on you, right? It's right. like the tower fell on these people who didn't do anything to make the tower fall on them and just fell on them. You know? yeah. And so it's, maybe it's that. I, I don't know. Maybe that's part of how repentance gets sown in I think it's interesting that I 100% agree. I, I think Jesus is trying to drive home that point that, hey, like, it's not, don't worry about the things that are happening, right? Repentance is important. Jesus preaches on repentance. Um, John the Baptist before him preached a baptism of repentance. Um, I think it's interesting that Jesus, I think, in this time in talking, takes it one step further right? The first situation where they they bring it to him, they say, this tragedy in Galilee happened. You know, Romans, they're literally killing our people. What what did they do? Jesus said, they didn't do anything. In fact, I'll give you something that's even more perplexing, a quote-unquote act of God, right? I'll give you something that has no reason whatsoever. Um, A tower literally fell, Explain that one. Um, it just is. Yeah. Maybe repentance is like humbling, and in repentance and being humble, you can be more compassionate mm. with other people's tragedies. You know, it could have very well happened to you. Right. Totally. Um, I think when tragedy strikes, um, we often don't know what to say. <laughs> the only the only way we can enter someone's presence in that time is to humble ourselves and try and put ourselves below them. I think also, I think Jesus knew why they were asking him this question. I think Jesus, very much like the Samaritan woman at the well, he knew their hearts and their intentions behind this question. And it wasn't pure. They probably, me being the the pessimistic and skeptical person that I am, Jesus honestly probably thought, maybe, totally be off on this, but 
probably knew that their heart behind it was to find out why it happened. Find out what awful sin they did to cause this to happen so that they could avoid it themselves and avoid this peril. And I think Jesus takes it this step and, and talks about repentance because he knows that. He knows these people's hearts and he knows that their hearts are no different than our hearts. I've just been thinking about some of the conversations had around our offices and what we talk about today. The sins of the people in the headlines in the news. Talk about this college scandal and how all of these parents are terrible human beings and worse than us. We talk about the owner of an NFL franchise and all of the awful things that he did and the way he's covering these things up and how much worse of a person he must be than us. I think Jesus is seeing that here in these people. And they're trying to get Jesus to be their ally. They're trying to get him to say, y'all are fine, y'all are good. Just don't do like the Galileans did. That group of Galileans. Don't just go and commit fraud. As long as you stay away from fraud, you're going to be good. I think he saw them. I think that he saw their intent in that question. Just like we ask at the water cooler. And Jesus inverts this. He takes the time to invert it on themselves. Rather than focusing on the things that may or may not have some sort of causation from sin, Jesus doesn't even, he does answer that question. He says, it really wasn't their sin. But that's not the point. Jesus' point is that if you continue throughout this life and you think you're right and you're just before God, that in and of itself is faulty. And so he continues on in verse 6. And he tells a parable, a parable that thankfully is, I think, pretty easy for us to grasp and understand. He tells a parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should I use it up? Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear good fruit next year, well and good. 
But if not, you can cut it down. What does that mean to you? (laughs) Is that hopeful or is that scary? (laughs) Or both? I hope he didn't say it last year about me. (laughs) (laughs) Not a year and a half ago. That's more scary. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on where, where you are in the context. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or <laughs> you're hoping that you're at year one out of three, that you get yeah. three more years of, of yeah. that leeway. Yeah. So in, in the story, right, so, so who is the owner of the land? Who owns the land in this? God, yes. And... and you have the vine dresser, and then you have, um, right, the, the tree. And so, um, vine dresser being Jesus, us being the tree. I think it's really interesting that, again, Jesus is telling these parables about shrubbery. Y'all remember what we talked about last week? The hedges that uh, there's the, the banquet table that God wants us all to be called to, and we, we meet these different people that are invited to this party. I continually have excuse after excuse after excuse. And Jesus goes back to God and says, God, all these people are making excuses. And God says, all right, Next. I'm going to go out all the way to the fringes. I don't care how far out I have to go. I have this awesome party banquet to be shared with all. I don't care how far you have to go, Jesus. Go. It doesn't have to look like what society wants it to look like. And so I think God's attitude here that Jesus is trying to tell us is if we have trees, if I'm that tree taking up that space and I'm not bearing good fruit, God has so many more that he wants to bring in that he knows can. And he has this beautiful vineyard for all to take part in, for all of us to to see and revel upon and be a part of. if we so choose and don't make excuses. Because he's not saying cut down the tree and just let that be. He says it's taking up space. And so he has more space for someone else. That tree can be us. And that someone else can be us. I think what's so compelling about all of this um, is the urgency that Jesus speaks of. Because I think we get through life and, and life beats down on us and we have things and obstacles pop up and we just get so preoccupied with things just like those who made excuses last week. 
Jesus continually hits home on the urgency of things, and I really didn't think that I understood that urgency until about two months ago. we don't know our appointed time. We don't know when it's it. And I think Jesus is talking and, and, and reminding us of our own human frailty. And how small we are. But how much he loves us at the same time. In that smallness. I promise I wasn't going to talk about this. I'm sorry. Um, And I think in some weird, crazy way, things like a friend's passing, as much as I hate it, is a reminder of that. Other societies see it a lot more than ours does. We're immune to a lot of that because we have a lot of nice things. We live pretty much a long life here in America. And so I'm just struck by the urgency of it and that the kingdom of heaven is at hand right now. And we have so many things pulling us away from that urgency. One of the things that I haven't been able to get out of my mind this week um, that just kind of addresses both of these things, this, re- this repentant heart that Jesus calls us to have, as well as this timeliness, is uh, y'all seen, I'm sure y'all have, I grew up on this, um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade really the last Indiana Jones movie. We're not going to count the fourth one. It wasn't, that wasn't real. That was fake. Um, so y'all remember the ending, ending scene or one of the ending scenes in that before everyone rides off into the sunset and everyone's happy and life is good? Y'all remember when they're in uh, the temple um, hunting for the Holy Grail? And uh, they're... they're Indiana Jones and his dad are there. I think I, I loved this. This out of the, the three Indiana Jones was my favorite by far. There's this father-son dynamic there that really gets me. Uh, and um, they're, they're in the temple. They're, they're hunting for the grail. And there are three trials that Indiana Jones needs to pass in order to get to the grail. And uh, he has this book that his dad has put together his whole life. And his dad is in no condition whatsoever to be able to fulfill these three trials. But Indiana Jones, strapping young lad, he can surely do the trick, right? And so he's got this, this book with him, his, his, his father's book, and is, is ready to enter uh, these three trials to get to the grail. And 
as he's approaching, well, first off, first off he's, he's there to get to the grail before the Nazis can, so that's very important. We can't have that get into the hands of the Nazis because that's holy grail in their hands. That's not great. Um, and so he's approaching, and then this man who is a, 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 a traitor in ancient relics um, orders Indiana Jones' father to be shot. And so he's shot, and so theoretically, from the Holy Grail, the only way for Indiana Jones' father to survive is by, of course, getting the Holy Grail, getting water in it, and pouring it on his chest so that he can have everlasting life and never die. So there's this timeliness and urgency for Indiana Jones to get this grail. And he's approaching. And this first test, I just couldn't get it out of my head because it, it just weighs so heavily on me. Um, and he's approaching it, and the, the trial is called the breath of God. And uh, Indiana Jones, he's flipping through this book, and he's trying to figure out, all right, what am I supposed to do here? Okay. The penitent man shall pass. The penitent man. keeps approaching and, and his dad is whispering in the background, encouraging him on, urging him on. And before Indiana Jones goes there, you know, we see other people try and pass this trial and they approach it with swords and weapons and try and overtake these challenges and be all macho. Naturally, they're decapitated and they fail. So, not great. <laughs> And he, he approaches, just repeating this over and over again. Penitent man, penitent man, penitent man. Penitent man is humble before God. Penitent man, humble. And he gets, gets really, really close and sees this literal breath coming at him. He's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And just yells, Kneel! He kneels, and then some ninja somersault, and he's through. Easy enough. Um, it's just this visual of this, this first approach to God. In order for us to do anything in his presence requires a repentant heart. That if we're going to approach him and do anything good or worthwhile in his kingdom... It's with that repentant heart. Couldn't get that image out of my head this week. And so, um, we'll going to move into a, a time of, of, of liturgy and prayer um, and worship. But before we do that, um, I just want to be really honest with you. Um, I think repentance is really hard. Like true repentance. I think we tend to do a couple of things instead of repent. I think we tend to tend to hold guilt on ourselves. We tend to 
want to just remain in this place of guilt, far from God. He doesn't want that. The repentance that Jesus talks about is one in which we kneel before him and he lifts us up. It's an act that does not allow us to remain in that guilt. And I think, honestly, um, oftentimes we look at ourselves and say, I am the only person that has to put up with myself. Some of y'all may be really uh, high self-esteem people. (laughs) I'm not one of those people. And I think deep down, a lot of the reason why we come to this Jesus is because we believe something inside of ourselves is in need of this Jesus. And so, um, as we move into this time, um, we're going to do our normal deal. Um, But we're going to play two songs after our liturgy and after the Lord's Prayer. Um, I would ask um, that y'all would just uh, remain seating or um, in the urgency that Jesus calls this repentance of us, however you would feel led to enter that space, whether that's seated, whether that's going into this back room to just be by yourself. You know, sometimes Jesus calls us to enter a room so that our prayer and our acts of righteousness would not to be seen by others. Um, I also want to offer if you feel alone in whatever you're in. Um, I've felt that over the last couple weeks. Um, I've been blessed to be able to um, repent communally, Jonah, with you. Um, and I'm thankful for that. And so if any of you guys just feel like you need to grab someone, um, I'll be available to that, and we can do that together, or grab your neighbor or someone in your restore group, please. Um, repentance is something that we approach Jesus with individually, but... Um, we are in him collectively. So um, let's, uh, let's stand as we do the liturgy. Um, and then once we're done, once we start worship, let's all uh, sit back down and prepare our hearts for communion.